Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. Um, every week we bring you a different church leader, a different expert uh, to kind of tell the story of their church. And I think particularly today is going to apply to so many church leaders that are listening in. Uh, We're honored to have Bob Reedy with us today. He's from a church called Church of the Open Door uh, in Yorktown, or not Yorktown, York, Pennsylvania. It's one of the fastest growing uh, churches in the country in 2019. Uh, Bob is just a fantastic leader. We're super honored to have you uh, on the show today, Bob. Thank you so much, Rich. It's uh, it's a, a thrill to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to, to dig into this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the church? Give us a kind of the Church of the Open Door story. Yes. Such a unique uh, story here at Church of the Open Door. Church started in uh, the early 50s, and they actually came out of a very traditional mainline denomination. When uh, a pastor came there to that particular mainline church in the late 40s and began to preach the gospel and all 12 of the elders in the church came to know Christ, as well as about 60 other Love people. It. So you can imagine how that revolutionized that church. Oh, absolutely. And, That's yes. so cool. And uh, so much so that the denomination eventually asked these 60-plus people to leave the church and uh, oh my you know, do wow. their own thing. And so huh. uh, the Church of the Open Door was formed. And one of the reasons why they named it Church of the Open Doors because so many doors had been closed to them uh, after coming to Christ that they wanted to create a place where uh, everybody could find and follow Jesus Christ. And so uh, <clears throat> a very unique start. And yeah. in the first 30 years or so of the church's existence, uh, it grew rapidly to about 600 people, and it was uh, certainly one of the oldest, uh, the, the largest churches in our area for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a great ministry, uh, very expository uh, type preaching oriented, very uh, uh, tuned to the world, a huge missions outreach as well. Mm-hmm. And then probably somewhere around the middle 70s, the church plateaued at about 600 people and stayed there for the next 30 years. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, it's it, there, you know, there was health that went on, I think, and uh, good ministry that happened and, uh, and all of that, but uh, there was no real growth. And, and so we came here in 2006, my wife and I and our family, and they, there had been a, a difficult pastoral transition the year before I came here. But uh, when I got here, the church, I think, was ready to uh, grow, ready to reach the community. And, you know, by God's grace, we've been able to do that these last uh, 14 years. Yeah, this is the story that, uh, you know, I think so many churches find themselves on, but they're yes. they're at the 2006 phase. <laughs> they're, yes. uh, they maybe have started somewhere new or they've, you know, they, they look at their church's history and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I seem like, I feel like I've talked to so many churches that have that same story. There was like really vibrant, amazing ministry in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And then there's been either a plateau or decline since then. So when you look back on these last 14 years, 
you know, what, what have been some of those things that God's used? How have you kind of stepped through that process to see uh, a stuck church uh, really turn around and start to reach? It's not, you know, the, the interesting thing is it's not like the church was, you know, 600 people is a, is a, is a reasonable sized church. You know, yes. that's not, that's not a small church by any means, uh, but it, but it was plateaued. What, what would you, what have you seen that God's used through this process, you know, over these years? I realize that's a giant question, but yeah. what are some of those things that comes to mind? Yeah, it's a great question though. And I get, and I get asked that question a lot. People want to know, Hey, what's the secret sauce, you know, of this? <laughs> right. Cause it was a, a, tr- a truly, it was a turnaround. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think of, uh, Ed Stetzer's book that he wrote a number of years ago called Comeback Churches. And that mm-hmm. church, of course, is uh, full of these kind of stories. And we got a lot of inspiration, uh, by the way, from that book. But, you know, as you know, uh, Rich, anywhere from 85 to 90 percent of churches in America are uh, either uh, uh, plateauing or they're losing ground. So it's a huge question. So what we did was... Uh, a number of things. I think the first thing is I tried to figure out what was the unique DNA of this church. I do believe that every church has a unique DNA and that if that you that you can't violate that DNA as you try to bring change. So I tried to figure out the unique DNA of COD so that uh, we could uh, structure our church at growth around that. We certainly did a lot of praying and just seeking God uh, together as a as a congregation. I also uh, you know, really began to read uh, a lot, very widely about uh, why churches get diseased, why they begin to get uh, unhealthy. I, I'm reminded again of what Rick Warren said when he said that healthy things grow. And so uh, we really worked at church health. We tried to make sure that we were doing the fundamentals very well, like prayer, the word of God, connecting with people outreaching to our community. When I came here, we were known really, I think, all over the world as a missions church, but we weren't really known in our community. And so mm. we needed to fix that. Uh, and our, our staff people made, you know, made sure that, that, uh, that I did that. Uh, I think as well, we tried to figure out what, was, what is the unique mission that Church of the Open Door has in this world, right. in this community, in this world? Because you know, every church, I think, has its own unique mission. So we tried to figure that out. And then uh, we hired, I think, the right people uh, going forward. I have a wonderful staff of, of pastors and and staff people, directors and coordinators. And I mean, I would be toast without them. So I got to make sure that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that I throw that out here tonight, today as well, yeah. because that, that was a huge thing. So totally. I think those are probably well, t- some of the initial things. I, I love that because it's like, you know, each one of those we could we could spend half an hour on each one of those those issues. There's yeah, a ton there. Going back to the unique DNA piece, because uh, I, I think that's an important first principle. Um, what you know, how did you go about that process? What what did you? How did you learn? How would you instruct someone to be thinking about kind of mining out the unique DNA of a church? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one of the books that I uh, read that really helped me with that is a book called Transforming Church. And uh, the guy who wrote it, his last name is Ford, and I forget his first name now. But uh, I heard him at a conference at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and he talked a lot about uh, DNA. And I thought, you know, I got to figure that out. And that was like my first year that I was here. So, you know, 
it's hard the, the, to try to figure out the DNA of a church is very difficult because I think there's a lot of factors. You know, it's shaped, I think, by the history of the church, by the tradition of the church, some of the heroes, so to speak, of the church's past, and certainly uh, by God's uh, word. And so I just began to try to be a historian. I mm. uh, tried, I, I listened, I interviewed uh, some of the original church members, and we still have a few of them here, but there were a number of more, a lot more of them uh, here in uh, 2006. That was great to listen to them, to hear about how they formed, you know, this church. And, and then, you know, I certainly went to the word of God because I think a lot of DNA should spring from the word of God. Uh, but so, so we began to do that as a staff. We spent a lot of time thinking through, you know, who is church of the open door. And, uh, and so all of that uh, caused us then to just come up with our, our own unique uh, DNA. And it's probably about seven or eight uh, different pieces that we see as the DNA of Church of the Open Door. Yeah. What would be some of those things that, that would stick out? I think the book you're talking about was Transforming Church, uh, Bringing Out the Good to Get to the Great by Kevin Ford. Kevin Ford, uh, that's it. He's actually the son of Leighton Ford, I believe. Yes. And, and uh, it looks like Billy Graham did the... the yes forward for that book. So, you, you know, obviously comes with great recommendations. Uh, but what would be some of those kind of unique pieces of DNA, maybe not all seven or eight of yeah. them, but, you know, that stick out that would be, you know, fairly unique to your church. We feel like, oh, this is really a differentiator, what God, God's kind of uniquely calling us to. Yeah. So the first one would be a steadfast commitment to the word of God. We are definitely a word oriented church. And uh, the people of the church love God's word and love to hear it preached. I would say the second piece would be the gospel. And along with that is missions, like from the inception of the church, uh, praying, sending, going has been in the blood of this church. So that was huge. I believe as well, just here at COD, we call Church to the Open Door COD, by the way. Yes. Uh, a, (laughs) A strong lay involvement. Uh, and a real shared leadership between the pastors and the elders and the ministry leaders. And so our ministry leaders and our, and our elders, uh, they have a real stake in what happens here. And, you know, some, that, some of that has had to be adjusted as our church has grown uh, and we've added staff. But that's a huge hallmark of, uh, of this particular church. And I would say as well, uh, multi-generational. I love that about Church of the Open Door. We are truly a multi-generational church. You'll come in, you'll see a bunch of people in their 20s, and you'll see a bunch of people in their 70s. And that's been a, I think that's been a, a you know, a cool thing. And I think probably the final thing is uh, we are a large church, but we still have a small church feel. And right. that gets us in trouble sometimes, you know, <laughs> for, because we might be accused of doing things, you know, old school. Um, but one of the things that, uh, you know, we have uh, between both of our campuses, we have seven different worship venues. So each of them are under 500 people. And so that has allowed us to be able to grow, but still have a small church feel. 
That positions you well in uh, in this current season, that's for sure. Yes. Um, one of the things you mentioned, which which as an outsider, kind of just looking in at the church, there does seem to be a high value on prayer, and and that's like one of those things that I think as church leaders, it's like, well, of course he's going to say pray, but but my can you know my even just from today's conversation, the thing I'm you know ascertaining from you is like, hey, no, this is like a vital part of what we do. How how are you implementing that? What does that actually look like? How and was there a change? Would you say? in the prayer culture or maybe what you were doing in the prayer, you know, kind of side of things in those early years, 2006, seven, eight, that, that had, you think was a part of the kind of pivot that God did. Yes, for sure. I mean, I would say that being prayer dependent is also one of our unique DNA pieces. Mm. Uh, and so back when I first got here, you know, there was a traditional prayer meeting, which, you know, was vibrant and, and alive, but only a small segment of our congregation came to it. So we tried to broaden that. Uh, we we made sure that uh, we were, first of all, just encouraging and challenging people about that. Uh, we did our best to equip them uh, in their own private uh, times to, to pray, to learn how to pray, to know what it means to pray. I went through a series on the Lord's Prayer. I think that was really huge in those early years. We began to implement... Um, all church prayer times, nights of prayer. Uh, when we've had big events, we we had all day uh, prayer times. Uh, so those are just a number of things. Concerts of prayer, we had a, we've had a, did a number of those, and we continue to do those as well, especially at uh, pertinent times in the life of our church. Right. So I think all of those were things that we brought into the mix that God used. Now, you, you flagged, and I, th- this may not be um, the right way to, for me to describe this, so you, you can push back on the language. And okay. I, I think there are a lot of churches, or there can be churches out there that, that do have a great global outreach, but they're missing their local community. Um, and it seems like you've been able to do both, that a part of this revitalization is, hey, yeah, we are concerned about having a kind of strong missions um, in, in the overseas missions sort of way defined, but then at the same time also be concerned about how are we seeing people here get connected with the message of Christ? How were you able to help that transition? What Or what did you do that helped kind of um, refocus or re-energize the local uh, side of outreach? Oh, that's a great question. You know, when I was at Moody, one of the people I studied under was Joe Stoll, who I had so much, have so much respect for. One of the things he said was that uh, what a leader does is figures out what should never change and preserves that, as well as then figures out what needs to change and then shepherd people through that. And so I applied that principle to this particular issue. You know, when I came here, it was clear to me that this church had this huge heart for the world, and it was great. But it, it also became clear that we didn't really have a heart for our city. We weren't really making an impact in our city. And I began to challenge our church, first of all, from the pulpit, just by saying, hey, if we cease to exist, would anybody here in York really care about that? Uh, mm. is, you know, are we really making that kind of an impact? So that began to... I think, speak into uh, people's lives. Uh, I, I as well began to talk to our leaders about that, uh, this particular issue, and just to say that, hey, uh, uh, you know, when, when I began to talk like this, you know, challenge people about this, there were a lot of people who thought, well, you know, he must not be in favor of missions. When in fact, 
what I wanted to say to them is, look, if you want to continue to have a strong uh, worldwide challenge, we're going we're gonna to have to uh, really firm up our local outreach so that we can um, meet, uh, you know, reach the people here, but also continue to grow as a church. You can't do both of them. It's just not going to be sustained. And so I think people began to see that and began to understand that. And so what I've uh, done my best to do, I think, is to preserve our strong uh, mission uh, of world, you know, global outreach, make sure that that's a huge, a big part of our church. But on, at the same time, then I've sought to bring our local outreach, uh, you know, our budget and just the, our efforts up to that same level. And so that's how I've tried to do it. Uh, not, you know, just wanting to make sure that, that both of those uh, aspects of our church life remain strong. And there, there've been people who haven't, who haven't agreed with it. You know, there've been people who have, you know, criticized and things like that, but, but in the end, uh, nobody really can argue with it because we've, we continue to uh, invest very strongly in both local and global outreach. And I think it's been one of the reasons why our church has grown. That's very cool. That's good. Good to hear. Um, you know, and that actually kind of tweaks my thinking around another question. I am sure, uh, it, you know, over the years, there've been some really kind of tough decisions or some, you know, key moments where, um, you know, we, on this side of growth, we look back and say, wow, it's all great. But as you go through it, it is a tough experience. And yeah. so, you know, what were some of those tough decisions that you needed to to make? And were there any of them that that were, when you look back on it, they, they seem maybe at the time they didn't seem as pivotal, but, but even now when you look back, you're like, man, that, that's a, that was a really key decision that we made um, as a church that was particularly tough. And how did you walk through that? Yeah, that's great. Well, I think first of all would be the one that we just talked about uh, addressing our, our local outreach. I think the second one was worship. When mm. I came here, uh, it was every kind of like every other Sunday like one Sunday we would be more contemporary and then the next Sunday we would be uh, more traditional and we kind of flip-flopped back and forth every other Sunday. And I understand why uh, we were doing that. It was a way to continue to engage our, you know, multi-generational uh, congregation. But we also realized that it was hurting us because if you came one Sunday, you got one picture of the church. And if you came another Sunday, you got a total different picture. My, uh, my worship pastor and I used to joke about how that we called that a schizophrenic style of, uh, right. of, of worship. But um, in the end, we, we ended up deciding that, hey, look, we need to do the same thing week after week. And we went to more of a, a, certainly a blend, but a blend that was on the contemporary side. And I don't recall us losing anybody over that, at least that I know of, but right. that was huge, Rich. Uh, when, we, when we began to do that and offer that kind of worship, uh, we, that was a big key factor, I think, in our growth. I think the second thing would be we, uh, we ended up building in my first year here, a family life center. And a lot of my friends were like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You've just been there your first year. <laughs> Why would you right. put that kind of a huge thing, you know, addition on your church? But they had been saving money for it before I got there. And I think just needed some, some vision and uh, somebody to come in and say, hey, let's do this. That mm. building, I mean, we put, I forget, 
I don't know how many square, it's a huge building with a gymnasium and a common grounds and classrooms and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing building, but that building really helped us reach our community. And that building is used uh, in, by so many groups in our community. Uh, mm-hmm. every, almost every night, uh, there is something going on in our family life center. So, you know, I know that probably goes against some of what the church growth people say, but boy, that building was, uh, that was a big, a big thing. And I think the third no, thing, I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. No, okay. that's great. And I would say the third thing is, is we really began to train our leaders and, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a leadership uh, group. And when I say that, I mean our pastors and our elders. Um, when I came here, uh, the situation that had happened in the year or so before I came uh, with a difficult pastoral transition, that really drove a wedge in some ways uh, between some of the leaders of our church. So some healing needed to come, I think, there. And so we began to work on healing. We began to work on what does the Bible actually say to us about Christian leadership and how, how, how do pastors and elders work together? And uh, so we began to read widely uh, some of the, you know, Larry, some of the stuff that Larry Osborne has written uh, was very, very helpful to us. Uh, Tim Keller has uh, put a paper together uh, about uh, leadership and about how, uh, the, the various uh, aspects of how a church grows and how uh, leaders have to connect and uh, work along with each other in in all of those uh, different uh, aspects. And so that really was helpful to us. Um, it was very helpful to us to, we, we put together what we call a relationship of leaders uh, paper mm. here at COD. It's actually on our website that people can uh, go there and look at that. But so what does it mean to be a leader? Uh, And uh, what does it mean? What are the character qualities of a leader? But then what are the competencies and what's the chemistry uh, supposed to be like? And so we work through, took us years to work through, you know, all of that. But uh, I think all of that as well, when the church saw the leaders working together, loving each other, and enjoying each other, uh, that really permeated uh, the rest of the church, I think, in a real positive way. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's uh, so helpful. And, I, you know, one of the things that is clear, obviously, you're, uh, you know, you as a leader, but then as an organization, you're, you're really pushing your people to be a learning organization. You're saying, hey, we've got to keep learning. We've got to keep, um, you know, exploring ideas. And that, that Tim Keller paper you talked about, I, that's probably the most handed out resource I've ever given to church leaders. <laughs> I'm constantly, you know, Tim wrote, Tim Keller wrote this paper that all about kind of various stages of a church size and what, you know, what are the, what are the leaders, what's the difference between staff and elders and all through that process. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Well, that you was huge. learned that- a lot over these last 14 years around growth, how does what you've learned through that experience relate to kind of the phase we're in now? You know, we were just talking before, as we record this, you're a few weeks in to in-person services. Um, you know, we're looking into a, you know, a bit of a strange, uh, you know, couple months here. Um, wh- what are you learning? What are the questions you're asking? How are you thinking about, um, you know, kind of what's next for COD uh, in this phase based on what you've, you've learned over these years? Yes. Well, uh, first of all, 
you know, I've been in ministry for 38 years and I have never worked so hard than I've worked in these last (laughs) few months. I mean, it's crazy. People, people probably think, well, Hey, you don't have any services. You know, you're not, you're not preaching three times anymore on a Sunday, blah, blah, blah. You, You guys must be having it easy. It was crazy to, Right. And I hate to use this word pivot because everybody uses that word all the time. But man, did we <laughs> yes. have to do that over. And in fact, we have a joke on our staff that every time every time somebody uses the word pivot, they've got to put a dollar in a in a kitty somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it's a swear word now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but, it's true. That's but boy, well, you know, we've had to and it's been a real challenge, you know. So I'm sixty-two years of age. So I've got kind of this long history of, of doing, you know, church uh, the way I've done it. And then all of a sudden, all that was just thrown out the window. And right. so one of the things, uh, you know, we did, of course, like so many churches, is we just, we pivoted to online uh, ministry. And uh, thankfully, I've, I've got such an amazing worship arts staff, and they did such a great job week after mm-hmm. week creating these services so much so that uh, we then went on television here in our area and mm. uh, and we've we realized that there was we were actually getting ready to open up a new campus before covid hit we were getting ready to open up a new campus in north york well that's that was put on pause uh, as a result mm. of everything and so what we learned is that uh, we have a we have a new campus now we we did open a campus it's an online campus Yes, absolutely. So we actually just hired a young man from Kansas City. He'll be uh, coming to our church in August here. And he is going to uh, lead uh, our uh, online campus. And he's going to be our communications director. And we're going to, excuse me, we're going to continue to really make that a a robust Mm -hmm. and, and highly visible part of our church. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, we've seen that in multiple, even even the the television thing, I've heard that repeatedly in this season where, you know, churches ended up, they not only pivoted to online, but then they were like, oh, there's also this opportunity to continue and, and uh, you know, and find new platforms and new ways to uh, to reach people. And, and I want to underline the, what you're doing there around, you know, hiring uh, key leaders and then, you know, the importance of communications at that senior table. That's for sure. I keep saying it through this whole phase, but we, you know, one of the things we for sure are seeing is what used to be maybe a sub function or was a, you know, a piece of the puzzle. We all realize, oh my goodness, this is such a critical part of, of what happens. And so um, we need to, we need to make sure we've got strong leaders in that and then ultimately in, in empower them. Um, Now you, you gave us a a document that we're going to share, which I'm, I'm excited about this. This is a vision and direction document, uh, fall 2019 and beyond. Can you tell us a little bit about this document and what, um, you know, kind of it's, it's, so it's an incredible piece here, really, I think a, a great way, uh, to summarize and get kind of an under the hood look at what's happening at uh, Church of the Open Door, but give us give us a sense of of this document and what are you hoping church leaders uh, could kind of take from it by seeing this this firsthand? Yes, this is a document that I write every year, and I usually uh, take a a month sabbatical each July and uh, mm-hmm. take just take time to read widely and uh, to also write this document. And I do that in, in preparation then for our budget season, which is in the fall, uh, and then for the next uh, year's uh, ministry. So I'm, I think I've started doing this maybe 10 years ago. And so I, I 
one of the things I try to do is just figure out, okay, who are we as a church? Mm. So I have articulated our DNA. I've articulated our values, our mission, and our vision. And then I, uh, each uh, year, I evaluate what happened in the life of our year. And so I try to work through all the events and kind of put them into some uh, major categories, evaluate our finances, evaluate our outreaches, uh, evaluate our, our smaller group ministries and things like that. Uh, and then I talk a little bit about uh, how, you know, I try to assess then in light of that, what should we uh, be doing into the future. And so then the, le- the, mm. the second half of the document, you know, has to do with uh, what we're, what our plans and what our goals, what some of our strategies are as we uh, try to put, put our mission and vision together. One of the things I added to this uh, uh, about a, a year ago after reading uh, J- James Emery White's book about uh, Generation Z is just mm-hmm. what's going on in our culture today. What, what's going on, especially with the next generation? I, I'm so passionate about the next generation. And so I actually put a piece in there now and, and we talk a little bit more about, okay, how does what we're doing as a church reflect on this next generation and our ability to reach them? This, vis- this document is, uh, you know, I, I write it myself, but then it goes to our pastors. It goes to our, our elders and our leaders and then it goes to some of our directors. And so we hash through this and then articulate uh, a clear uh, vision for the next uh, number of years. And then it goes to our congregation and, and uh, it's, it end up, en- ends up oftentimes being some of our marching orders. We do some dreaming mm-hmm. with this as well. At, at the end of it, I have, uh, okay, what are some of our uh, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals? What are some of our yeah. God-sized goals? And it's been interesting how uh, when I throw those things in, uh, you know, in subsequent years, how God uh, ends up uh, meeting a number of those goals that we thought were just crazy goals, but it was actually part of what he was doing in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. That was one of the things that jumped out to me was uh, in the BHAG section and this one. So this was again, you know, a year ago you were processing that and you said, have a podcast TV radio ministry that reaches beyond our walls. And I'm like, oh my goodness, God definitely, you know, answered that, uh, you know, big time uh, for, for all of us uh, this year. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. He used a coronavirus to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. He accelerated that BHAG. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, Bob, I really appreciate you being on this show today. What a, uh, it's been an encouraging conversation, challenging. You've provided some great uh, coaching and, and leadership for us. Um, if people want to get in, ch- in touch with the church, kind of track with you guys a little closer, where do we want to send them? Yeah, I would say we should uh, send them to our website, uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, <clears throat> COD. York, C-O-D-Y-O-R-K dot O-R-G. And uh, some of these uh, things that I've mentioned here are on uh, that on our website. You can uh, watch our services and things like that. It's probably the best place to send people. All right, that's so great. Bob, I appreciate being on the show today. Thank you so much for investing in us today. My privilege, Rich. Uh, thank you for your ministry as well. Appreciate uh, so much of uh, what you guys are about. 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.